0: This is the Humans of Gaming Podcast, an open and honest conversation about games, life, and belief.
1: Hello and welcome to Humans of Gaming. I'm Drew Dixon. I am the chief content nerd at Love Thy Nerd. And host, co-host of this podcast. And I'm joined with Chris Qualtney. Hey, Chris.
0: Hey, I am the chief executive nerd with Love Thy Nerd. And the chief Drew's wingman nerd for this podcast. Chief
1: Twilight Imperium fanboy. Yeah,
0: you better freaking believe it. Dude, we played a game the other day, less than five hours. And that's like a, that's probably a world record.
1: Yeah, you're flying. Yeah, That's impressive. Not bad. Do you have like a regular Twilight Imperium group in Ventura?
0: No, because most people will play it once and then never want to play it again. Um, <laughs> yeah. I actually drove like an hour out to L.A. the other day just to play. But it's totally worth it because I wasn't the one organizing the game, which is the most difficult part. Yeah. Uh, somebody else doing all the work, so I'll happily drive an hour for that.
1: Yeah, because then you're talking another hour of setup and tear down. <laughs>
0: No is quick.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Well, uh, we have a special guest, as we always do on this podcast, and that's Stu Maxwell. Hey, Stu. Hello. And you go by Stu, right? Yeah. Okay, not Stuart.
0: Stu, I mean, have you uh, ever played Twilight Imperium, or do you have any idea what we're talking about? No, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, no. Have is you ever
1: a- watched um, Parks and Recreation? Sure, yeah. <laughs> it's basically the same as like Cones of Dunshire.
2: Okay,
0: no, I haven't got to those episodes on. yet, so. oh, okay. oh man, we're striking out on all the references for is stealing. this a is this a board game like a it tabletop is. game? yeah, yeah it's a board game. It's been around for i mean I don't know like twenty years or something. It's on this fourth edition, but it's notorious like it has an infamous reputation for being like an all day long excursion, so mm-hmm. you know like ten twelve hour long game.
1: It's not for the faint uh, of heart,
0: no, but it's like this giant space opera, so like you're playing as you know, an alien race and you've got like a fleet of ships and you're taking over planets and trying to vie for dominance of the galaxy. So yeah, basically the best thing ever.
2: Well, when I was in college before I knew about good board games, like, you know, there's the stage of your life where you knew about Monopoly and yeah. Snakes and Ladders and Scrabble. And then at some point you learn, someone shows you Settlers Catan, and then you're basically like on onward into the board game world um pre settlers of Catan. someone sat me down to play axis and allies okay and i and i and this is one of those epic games that can go on for Mm -hmm. hours or days Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i was just like what is happening like this is so (laughs) far outside of my realm of understanding of how board games work um and i was just like okay fuck you guys get out of (laughs) here but like at this point i feel like let's do it like let's get into that sort of stuff like i've played um games that are several hours long like we just played this game it was like a sherlock holmes game okay. um and every single um it was like me and a few friends in victoria and every single time you play you're like using up one mystery that you could never play again because it will have been completely spoiled but it's wow. like a book of different like dialogue responses that different people around town can give you um it's so intricate and crazy
0: So then you play if you played Axis and Allies, like you get generally what Twilight Imperium is. It's basically that in space, kind of. Yeah. So huge war game, lots of politics and arguing and jockeying for position and making enemies. That sounds great. I mean, that
2: wasn't my experience of Axis and Allies because my (laughs) experience was like,
0: well, this is so boring.
2: And what is this rule? (laughs) And like, it's like you can play for three hours and not see an event repeated. You know what I mean? Like every single situation is unique, and you're like, "There's, I know there's a lot of rules, but this seems like total randomness."
1: Yeah, Chris made it sound really uh, intriguing and fun, but I think most people's (laughs) experience is—you've never
0: even played it, don't you dare? You got a lot of nerve, (laughs) don't you? No, one
1: day. Actually, I think, like to be honest, I think I would really enjoy it. It's just, it would just be carving out the the time to do it.
0: That's great, though, is that because this game's been around for so long and they've they've reiterated it now, you know, four times, they've streamlined it every time. So, like, maybe like Stu, your experience with Axis and Allies, like, I don't think you have that same experience now with this fourth edition because they've streamlined so much. They've taken a lot of that cumbersome, Mm -hmm. you know, mechanics and stuff out of it so that you get to the exciting stuff uh yeah. faster and more often you know
1: well we uh we haven't really announced you know we're introduced you so what do you do Stu? um well i'm,
2: I'm mainly here as the the developer of shape of the world um which is an indie game that i spent the last four years working on and uh yeah. shipped it in june Congrats. um thank I you played it
1: oh and you did it's really cool yeah that's awesome yeah it's really uh I really enjoyed it.
2: I'm happy and slightly surprised because I was just listening to an episode where you guys talked to John Warner, um, the creator of The Fall, and you guys were just jamming on the idea of games being super hard um bloodborne was the best <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you gotta like no games worth playing unless you put like uh 20 hours into it at minimum up ideally 100 and just get super deep into the strategy and i'm like my that? game is like a really i don't know something like that but
0: we just say whatever you guys want to hear so <laughs> that's you know um you were obsessing with the difficulty of
2: it and loving the fact that the immersion comes from the fact that the world is so punishing and wants to kill you in every possible way it can and i was just thinking like and then there's shape of the world the game with no challenges (laughs) and it's just intended to be a relaxing short experience
1: well you need that i think especially after you've because i've been like i've been i was deep into bloodborne i mean i played i don't know probably 40 hours or something of that game. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went straight from that into dark souls three. Cause you hate yourself. Cause yeah. Cause I hate <laughs> life, I guess. Um, and it's to me is even harder than bloodborne and maybe it's just the style of it or whatever. So then this week I've been playing donut County and, and shape of the world and oh, good. been really like, it's been a godsend honestly like a
0: breath of fresh air.
1: Yeah, yeah, I needed that because I was starting to like just feel like um, tense, you know? Yeah. And then I'm that way at work and stuff. And yeah. I like games that do that, that require you to be like totally dialed in and really um, like I've grown to, I didn't always, but I've grown to appreciate those types of games, like where you have to be really focused and it takes a lot of like mental energy. Um, but. Man, it doesn't it doesn't jive well. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't jive well with a stressful week of work slash like also working part time for a nonprofit on top of that. You know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like yeah, I didn't I didn't need it. So your game has been really, um, yeah, it's been been a really nice change of pace.
2: Well, that's awesome. I mean, it was designed to be sort of a contrast to other games on the market. You know, like what we're used to is, is like yeah. in, as sometimes I was kind of like it's a bit of an anti game. Like I kind of just want to say games can be more than just shooting. Um, the other mm-hmm. the other thing is I'm, I'm a lead effects artist at the coalition making Gears of mm-hmm. War games. Um, so right. um, that That's type of game is so much more challenging. Like yeah. um, it's a very intense um, at times inaccessible um cover shooter and yeah. um you know it takes a lot of skill and i actually really enjoy getting into that and when i play the game i, I like to play the multiplayer the most because it makes my heart pump right like as soon as yeah. i get to a game and i was playing a game today and i realized that within 60 seconds my heart was like pup, 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 and i'm just trying mm-hmm. to get into the right position try not to die and and you know it's like oh time's of the essence uh, the response mm-hmm. and uh and just trying to get in there but like After a busy day, I kind of want to just come home and play something that I can sort of turn the um, analysis tactical side of my brain off and just kind of turn on the like experience side of my brain. Yeah. So it's very much intended to just be an experience. And to that end, I had to kind of remove all the challenges, even puzzles. I like had to make the decision at some point, like, no, puzzles are too, um, uh, too brainy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But there is a lot of, like, experimentation in the game. Like, um, yeah. Like, I think it encourages you to mess around with the world and explore it in a way that, um, that's really – that's pretty unique, I think, too. um, Because I was thinking – like, I was trying to think of what I would compare it to in the first game that came to mind is Proteus. Did you ever play that? Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. So uh, David Kaniga and Ed Key – game that was probably like five or six years ago at least um, which is just this beautiful sort of you know exploration game Um, but yours reminds me of that in the sense that there's it's this kind of abstract world that you're you're just exploring but there's a lot more um, it feels it feels more dynamic and more unpredictable is that fair to say
2: yes well the proteus world is static right like i guess there's a certain procedural element to how they generate the island and where they put all of the all of the items but as far as i can tell from playthrough to playthrough like all the items are the same everything's the same it's just kind of in a different spot Uh, maybe the landscape's a little bit of a different shape um but if, if you played it and then you played it again next year you wouldn't know that it was any different like because you would have forgotten the subtleties but mm. it's very very static right like there what I liked about it is that you play for a bit for fift- 10 or 15 minutes and then you something some cool event happens and then it completely changes the sort of the color and this it feels like you go into a different season perhaps yeah right. um, so I liked that um like the dynamism of those moments of change and you can kind of see Mm -hmm. a similar thing happening in shape of the world just way more (laughs) way more often um but like it it doesn't it's not really moving right like a few petals fall sometimes you come up to a a creature and it kind of flies away but it's very much like a static thing so i just tried to make sure that my game was pretty much always moving like if you're moving it's growing
1: yeah yeah that's really cool was that um... So your work your day job is to work on gears like make gears war games and do effects in them and stuff. Mm-hmm. So what made you go like, I've got to do my own thing? Was it part of like being a part of a team that's making this really like edgy kind of in your face kind of shooter and wanting to do something pretty different? Or, or how did you how did you start making your own game?
2: um i think the moment that i found out i was working on gears of war is the moment that i started working on this side project <laughs> because like once you commit yourself so fully to such a big established game like that's not well that's not my game exactly like i have i have something to add to that game right like i'm here yeah. to make sure that gears of war um is getting better it's getting bigger it's getting sexier um but it, it's it's it, more it's guns not, it's, it's rod ferguson's game but if you reach back further as cliff blizinski's game it um and then sort of like as a creative person i want to make my game you know so it's sort of yeah. like the moment that i realized that i think i have enough technical ability to start prototyping a game and simultaneously i am now committing to what could potentially be like an infinite project <laughs> like Years of war Who knows? Maybe there'll be Gears of War hundred, right? Like, (laughs) it's one of those franchises that could potentially go on forever. So, um, once I committed to that, I said, okay, well, in order for me to be happy, um, I think I'm going to take those technical skills that I've learned and try and hammer out my own thing. Um, And you know, it, 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 it because it's my own thing, it's going to be a lot more personal, so it's going to feel and look totally different. Which is also good. I didn't want to make like my own Gears of War. <laughs> um, yeah. Like I just want to make my own thing. So mine's based on like my own experiences, what I like about um wandering. You can make and a game called
1: Tears of War that's about how sad war is. Wow. <sighs> That's great. And you know what? It'll I still guess. hot
2: on mobile because everything of war. Um, <laughs>
1: that's right. <laughs> You're Tears on. of
2: war. You think it's going to be a casual game? It turns out it's just like about the discoveries of uh, various
1: Holocaust survivors. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. Sounds <laughs> like a good time. I would play that. I would play that game. Uh, sorry, I interrupted you, though. You were saying something meaningful, and I just no, gave I, that
2: stupid pun. Just that it's my own. Like, my own game is going to be based on my own experience. So, for me, that was yeah. like... Um, that was going for bike rides, going for walks, you know, getting excited by nature, um, j- just getting excited by getting lost, being a, with my own thoughts. Uh, you know, I just I sort of I've always liked that, or at least as an adult, I've been growing to really like that type of um,
0: just trying to get lost safely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. going, I'm assuming the team, you know, that you're working with Gears of War is pretty big. Oh, yeah. And going from that to it's just you that worked on Shape of the World.
2: Well, it's I mean it's my friend Brent, uh, Brent Silk. He did all the sound and music. Okay. Um, early in the project, I enlisted the help of a Thomas Goldberg, who was another friend in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like a technical animator. He figures out systems, and he gave me a few technical building blocks. um, to, to work with. Um, and I just sort of a little bit of like mentoring, you know, (laughs) He's a lot more seasoned than I am. Um, So what's that experience
0: like? I mean, going from, you know, during the day you're working on these teams of, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens to, you know, two or three people, like what are some of the, you know, pros or cons or things in that? Um, I mean, um,
2: at the coalition, there's a, there's many many just effects artists right like so i'm managing a team of effects artists it's not even like a a team of game designers or anything larger than that it's like it's it's already a specific niche um and uh so instead of working on a specific so within effects in the AAA world, you're working on a specific detail of the overall art of the overall game, right? Yeah. So it's like, okay, just make the fires in the scene really, really good. And the scene's comprised of a whole bunch of things. And you're just working, worrying about the fires. And that's maybe even removed somewhat
1: from the actual game design of like, you know. The- is that what you're actually working on with Gears of War is like fires?
2: Well, there are people on the effects team working on fires. Um, okay. but the other contrast is the fact that I'm actually managing people now. So it's a much right. more people focused
1: job. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I'm not physically making that fire myself anymore. So when you go, when I go and work on my own project, um, not only are my decisions about all, most of my decisions are about the game, the gameplay, the game world, you know, the game experience as a, mm-hmm. as a much higher level, but I'm also physically tooling that out myself. Yeah. Um, so it, it's night and day. Uh, in sure. terms of actual work, the, the the connecting tissue is Unreal Engine um, mm-hmm. and like 3D World. The fact that I'm making like Shape of the World is a first person. Um, it's like not a shooter, <laughs> but it's based mm-hmm. on the movement mechanics and the looking mechanics of a shooter. Um, and uh, that's pretty much where the connection stops.
1: Yeah. Isn't it weird that we that's like our our default thing to talk about first person games. When you think of a first person game, you automatically assume it's a shooter. Sure. (laughs) And then you have to sort of like explain to people, no, this is like a first person shooter, but it's, but without the shooter, (laughs)
2: there's no shoot. There's no guns. Okay, guys, it's the first, first person shooter without any guns. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, the thing is I was making, I got into game design because when I was in high school, when I was 14, I started making levels for Quake. Um, just going back to John Warner, he did, he and I come from that same background where we both picked up like Worldcraft or something and started making Quake levels. And it was, um, completely mind blowing. Like, it was like, oh, finally I found the hobby that I will stick with for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. Even though I did completely abandon it at some point, like after high school, I forgot about it went to art school um, just sort of completely left video games behind. And then I think uh, I one day realized like, Oh, I kind of like 3d animation. And I started going back to school. And after a couple of years of that, I realized, Oh, I could make video games. They make video games here in Vancouver. And it was like, Oh, this is what I've been dreaming of since I was in grade nine. Um, And then I kind of got back into it, but I completely forgot about that dream for a while.
1: Did you get, were you just kind of like, tired of video games or over it or or no it's the fact that
2: it's the fact that video games don't have a place at art school like art Uh, school is about fine arts it's about painting and sculpture and installation art and performance art and um and there is like a new media digital media component it's it's -hmm. it's it's all it's sort of a niche even of that like you have to be part of like the the three people in the college who do their own new media thing and they don't have much help from their instructors maybe there's like one video guy who can show you the basics um but pretty much you're on your own and so i did get into that i liked digital media and graphic design and video um and Like it still never it never connected to video games at that point because that would have just been there was just there was nothing guiding me toward that like Quake Quake is one thing fine art is another thing there's no connection I totally have no I I don't see it that way at all anymore I just think that like video games and art need to come together and they certainly do and they overlap and I I think to some degree uh, Donut County and Shape of the World and Proteus Um, all fit that sort of niche where art and video games mix. Like they're on that Venn diagram and that overlapping section. Um, so yeah, Mm I'm kind of happy to like bridge the, bridge the gap a little bit with shape of the world.
1: Yeah, for sure. So if you had to narrow it down to like one thing that you hope people gain from their time with your game with shape of the world, what, what would it be?
2: Um, you know what, I kind of am most touched by the people who report that they, that it is like therapy to them. Mm -hmm. Like it's therapeutic Mm. to have a relaxing experience. Um, some people, um, like one guy was telling me, I think he was tweeting at me and he's in the hospital. He was recovering from a stroke and he was playing my game. Um, you know, it's, it's just sort of like, oh, it, 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 there's, there's a time when you need a video game and you absolutely can't deal with high skill competition. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And you need this sort of, um, relaxation experience, like they're really hard to come by, um, especially interactive ones. Like, okay. Even interact, even relaxing movies are pretty hard to come by. Like famously there's like Baraka and Koyaanisqatsi and Samsara. Mm. Um, but there's very few like abstract wander journey movies. Um, but
1: the video game space is even better because you can kind of be there and do your own journey. That's interesting because I think that we play video games in part to, to escape and to like, you know, get like explore a new world. Like that, that's a big, a big uh, draw, I think appeal to, to video games. And yet like, we're just so often games tell us exactly how to interact with them. You know what I mean? like, that's sort of a big thing in modern game design is tell players exactly what they're supposed to do. Don't, don't, don't let them be confused ever. Don't let them ever be um, disoriented. Um, and yet that's exactly what your game's about. Yeah. Which I think is pretty cool.
2: Well, and I guess, I guess I'm glad you sort of noticed that. Cause even if you look at the tutorial and I'm doing air quotes, um, <laughs> like there, there's a section. Again? I didn't see him. Yeah, exactly. Well, there's a section at the beginning that teaches you the minimum of what you need to know in order to proceed, yeah. right? There's like a little bit right. of like looking and moving, and then you, you can do some some little basic like interacting. Um, but it's pretty loose, and then it just transitions, it just segues smoothly into the game, and there's no additional instruction ever. There's not a single word of text other than I think it's like left mouse button touches, right mouse button throws a seed. Um, right. And that's it. And so it's kind of up to you to figure out what you want to do with that. Um, you you'd, like some people have discovered that you can chuck seeds of certain creatures and get a response out of them. You know, you can like touch various things. You can plant trees. You can use the trees to kind of launch yourself. There's a little bit of exploration to be done there, that everyone hopefully figures out within the you know hour and a half, two hours or so that they spend playing through the game once. Um, but um there's no instruction it's it's all about the joy of figuring it out on your own and i Mm -hmm. wanted it to be paced in such a way that it feels like every minute or two you're discovering a little tiny thing like another little nugget Mm -hmm. and so it feels like there's kind of good pacing throughout the you know i think most people finish it in about an hour and a half so you get about an hour and a half of like solid well-paced development
1: Uh, and then you get a little happy reward at the end now is it different when you play again
2: I think it is because I've played it so many times, like an absurd <laughs> yeah. number of times, as you can imagine. Yeah. And, and sometimes I just tell to myself, like, uh, play it differently, go somewhere else. And because you kind of have like a golden path that is like, OK, this is the fastest way to get through this thing so I can test it and be done. But I watch players and no one takes the golden path exactly. Like some people do who are like very objective driven and they like, Mm -hmm. they like, aha, there's my objective, objective identified calculating fastest route. Okay. Take this do, do, and you can see them optimizing their route to like get through the game as fast as possible because that's their, that's their sense of reward. Like I've optimized Mm -hmm. the completion of this game. Um, But on the other end of the spectrum, there's people who just want to dick around. Yeah. Um, so I noticed that in playthroughs, and so sometimes I'm just sticking around, and um, because of the freedom afforded to you to just stick around, you you can really kind of get lost doing anything. And there's like a little bit of a procedural level to it where the forest will grow around you, and the forest changes depending on what seeds you picked up and what gate you went through right. last, um, and the colors are different depending on what you've done. So um, it, it you do find these sort of these moments um that you didn't see last time you played like pretty regularly it's just it's str- strung together a whole bunch of different random moments that you didn't expect uh some of them are yeah. like playing with creatures over here because that creature spawned where there didn't used to be a creature um or you can backtrack and walk through a really dense forest and then you kind of get completely lost and you don't know which way you're going um, and then you have to find your way out that that's that's all kind of emergent so i do think it's a little it's fairly different every time you play
1: yeah even though and the you- core is the same yeah, and you have kids. We were you were talking about that earlier. How old are your kids?
2: Um, I've got a five week old and oh, a uh,
1: three and a half year old. Okay. Sorry, I said five I week, curious. but I meant to
2: say five month. Oh. Five month old <laughs> feels like five weeks. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. same difference. Yeah, he's uh, he's settled.
2: I've settled in now. It's I'm not in like <laughs> panic dad mode.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was just curious because this seems like the kind of game that you could probably play with pretty young children. Like if you tried it playing it with your three-year-old, Will he's, he or she, sorry. Uh, she. She, will she sit still and watch you play? She
2: does like to sit still and watch me play, but because it's like either mouse and keyboard or controller, um, yeah. I don't think she has the competency to use like two sticks or mouse and keyboard yet. Right, yeah,
1: yeah. Um,
2: yeah. Like she could play tablet games and stuff and phone games. Mm-hmm. But, um, sadly, the controls are a little bit too hard, which kind of I would say is my greatest failing in the game I kind of wish I didn't go for like the mouse and keyboard or the twin stick yeah that's you know that's the type of game that I grew up with especially in high school and whatever but like Mm -hmm. this type of game Mm -hmm. would be accessible to two-year-olds basically right up to like senior citizens there's no reason why any age of person couldn't get something out of this game but unfortunately it's like locked behind these like Historical gamer principles of like using mostly <laughs>
1: um,
2: Is so, it
0: a possibility to get it on like? Are you wanting to port to tablet or anything like that eventually? I've thought about it, but I, I don't know. I don't know how that would work. I'm not
2: sure it if it would run uh, on like a, a a wimpy enough computer. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what the development cost would take. I don't know. Like because right now I'm kind of focused on family and uh and we'll see Uh, yeah i'm sure i'll revisit the game once i feel like i've got my life back but it was (laughs) sort of like four years of developing it in my spare time so it's like okay you have a full schedule plus you add this extra hobby but during that time i obviously birthed two children and uh have become more and more involved in the family so um it's just kind of it it it, it got too intense for me. The the sure. last sort of two years of development I think were just a little bit too intense. Um and I'm really enjoying taking a step back for a moment. But I mean really that's one of the reasons why this game ended up so relaxing is because very quickly um I realized like in, in developing it, I realized that I want to come home after a busy day and have a relaxing game to play. You know, it was like, I'm very much like I'm my own audience in this case. This is the game. This is the game that I would have wanted if I were playing games instead of making games.
1: Yeah, I saw. Um, I think maybe you said this in a video, like on your on your website, but you talked about like as a kid getting lost in this huge like castle hotel thing. Mm-hmm. Am I remembering correctly? Yeah, the
2: Banff Springs Hotel.
1: Yeah. And uh, I love that because um, I like i have kids too so i have a seven-year-old a four-year-old and uh almost one-year-old um and it's so fun like watching them take in new places um and it brings me back to those kind of moments like you described in the in the video on your on your website about the that hotel that you were uh wandering around um and uh yeah I, I just i love video games that give you that sense like um like subnautica threw myself at that game quite a bit because it kind of brings you back to that a little bit, like that feeling of, of being lost. Um, Uh, and, uh, I, I, I I really, I really dug that about yours, but yours provides that in a less like subnautica and can be really like intense. (laughs) Um, and so it's nice to do that without being threatened by, uh, scary things.
2: Yeah. Well, (laughs) I realized that like when it comes to the word lost, like, there's two ways of using it. Like you can get lost, like you're in danger, right? Like yeah, if you're lost right. in a foreign country, you just like, oh, am I ever going to get home? Right. Or if you're lost in the middle of the woods, you don't know how far you are to civilization. That's very scary. Um, mm-hmm. But on the other hand, sometimes you can just get lost for fun. Like, like if that, that's the thing about that map Springs hotel is when I was a kid, it seemed nearly infinitely large. And, walking around and running around like the goal was okay how many corners how many how many corners do i have to turn how many stairs do i have to go up and down before i don't know where i am right it's like trying to get to that point as fast as possible and then just being like woohoo i'm completely lost and then you're in this weird state where you're like just walking wandering down halls everything's a mystery until that one moment where you realize where you are again and so that was that's just like a super fun game into itself, right? Um, and so when I started making this game, I was biking through Stanley Park, which is the same kind of thing. It's like a contained island of a forest. Like on one one side is downtown, and all other sides are surrounded by the ocean. And it's this huge old-growth forest, dense with trees, and it's just got kind of like a spider web of paths, hiking paths within it. So you can just be like – you can turn left, right, left, right, and, comp- and not have any idea which way is north anymore – um, and you can get into that really cool lost state where you don't know how long you're going to walk before eventually you figure out where you are again. Um, uh, so yeah, that's the type of, and I started calling that pleasantly lost, <laughs> but I kind of mm-hmm. wish there was an English word that just meant like lost in a good way, not lost in a
1: bad way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's great. What's the reception been like so far?
2: Um, it's been out for a few months now. It's it's been pretty good. Um, uh, I think people generally, people who are looking for this type of game are so happy that another one exists, right? It's like a mm-hmm. rare little gem of an idea. These like indie games that are made by very few people that actually has a certain level of quality and polish into it um, That it, that isn't, you know, it's like not punishing for people who are looking for games, but they don't want to be punished it's really hard for them right um you guys were talking about dark souls and how it is sort of the new trend to make very very challenging games right like it's yeah it's it's, it's making a resurgence We, may, everyone started making games super casual and now gamers are done with that <laughs> they want to go back to games yeah. that are like challenging so for people who aren't good at games for whatever reason like they weren't brought up that way is usually the case um um, or they have, they have like any manner of disability that would prevent them from being good at challenging games. Um, they're just like, thank, thank you. But then the most brutal yeah. thing I once found is someone who was like, he's a Twitch streamer. Um, uh, what's his name? It's not coming to me right now, but, um, but he was playing it a lot. I was noticing, like he was one of the few, few people who were playing it regularly. Um, and I joined his, tw- in his Twitch stream and watching him. And he was just into it so much. And then I found out that um, he there's actually sections of the game that are tremendously difficult for him to look at because he's colorblind. And my game is huh. so color-y, right? Like it's just it's just um, a lot of flat, uh, flat, solid colors. Very, very little detail. It's very graphical and kind of posterized. Um, so sometimes the color palette would change. And he wouldn't be able to tell the red wall from the green floor. And it would just would be like he'd, look, he'd be looking at a sea of brown and just kind of like inching along the wall, trying to find his way through to the next seeds or the next gate in order to change the colors again. And I was like, oh, no, I tried to make it accessible. And I completely forgot about the, one of the biggest demographics of accessibility, color blindness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, oops. <laughs> There's
1: a lot to think about, man. Yeah. A lot Shape to think of the about. world,
2: too yep i I could just (laughs) patch that if i had any time
1: is there like a like i'm curious because you seem to be into these types of experiences like the type of game that you created is there other games in that genre that inspired you or that you would that you really dig that you might mention well definitely that, that are like exploratory but all but not threatening
2: well the other obvious one which was a clear and decided inspiration was flower and journey mm, as a yeah. as a pair yeah um, flower was that game that i would get friends like you know we're gamers and i'm sure you have tons of friends who don't wouldn't know one game from the next game like they're completely anti-game basically that's yeah. true you guys have some non-gamer friends mm,
0: yeah oh yeah
2: <laughs> and then getting them into gaming Sadly, basically no, like I'm an impossibility kidding. um uh-huh. so th- when, when you see a game like flower I can bring someone over and put a PlayStation controller, which is terrifying to a non-gamer because it has something like 15 buttons on it, on this tiny little piece of plastic. And I'd be like, no, 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 no. You just need this one button. And like, you can just tilt the controller, right. To steer. And then I show them that this game is about flower and you control the wind. And it's very pretty. And they're just like, what? And it just completely, you're just showing them a whole new possibility about video games. Like they don't all have to be about blood and chainsawing. Um, you can really just blow some flowers around and all the game mechanics are still there. Plus they've like put on a thick coat of like experientiality, right? Like beautiful yeah, sound yeah. And, and the flow of the game. There's just so much effort put into the feeling of it um, that you're, you know, you're bound to change some minds. Hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Journey is one of those sort of iconic for me uh, gaming experiences in that vein. Although there are some mildly threatening elements of journey. Um, but just like that last moment where you're, um, where you're kind of climbing the summit a uh, smiled spoiler, I guess, but you're sort of climbing the summit of this mountain that, you know, from the beginning that you're trying to get to. Um, and some of it probably is just Austin winter wintery soundtrack, but, um, like it's just majestic. Yeah. Like I'll never, it's one of those moments that I think about a lot that, um, sticks with me with gaming yeah um so anyway i, I definitely identify with those
2: absolutely but. well and like and then the cool thing about journey is there it's there is a challenge right like um about a third of the way through the game you discover those dragon things that mm-hmm. ha- that yeah. eventually you're they have these spotlights and you get the impression that you should not get into that spotlight, but eventually you will. And this like amazing scarf that you've been saving up from gathering all the collectibles gets chopped right off. And now your jump sucks. Um, yeah. And it's like, they don't have to kill you a lot, right? It's just like once it's just like, boom, here's a punishment. It's not even death. You don't have to start anything over. All you, all that happens is your jump sucks more, but it's so emotionally punishing. Right. Mm-hmm, and the, yeah. uh, the rarity of yep. those, de- of those like tragedies, like aids Mm -hmm. the fact that it's very very important when this thing happens you're just like
1: oh no (laughs) yeah that's another thing games don't tend to do super well like make those kind of moments like there's so many of those types of moments in games or like you know punishing moments that they become somewhat meaningless um but that that kind of experience in a game is pretty rare i think where it's uh, saving up the scarf this whole time and there's no way to get it back <laughs> yeah it's just gone
2: you can't there's not even a yeah. save point like it's gone yeah yeah um but i mean the shape of the world is a similar thing kind of at the it's not similar exactly but there's the the mountain like the the last mm-hmm. level of the game which is like okay it's like lights way down contrast way down it's very like dark Plus, there's this thund- there's this uh, thundering lightning that's going on, and as you climb the mountain, you get closer, closer to the lightning source, and so you can feel it get strong, like you can hear it get stronger. Um, and so, and like also, you're being tossed up this mountain, and you could make a wrong move and slide all the way back down. There's a little bit of a safety net, um, but uh, you know, it for the first time, there feels like real risk, both emotional mm-hmm. risk and like mechanical risk um so just just a little bit of pressure there at the end once you're used to it you're probably not going to quit at that point so go yeah. for it
1: well what about you where'd you grow up
2: um i was born in calgary alberta and then i lived in a small tiny town called didsbury
1: which is an hour north of that so that's why earlier you s- sounded like you said sorry <laughs> you got a little bit of that well yes canadians Canadian. have,
2: have the use wait sorry how how do you say sorry <laughs> Sorry. Right, sorry
1: sorry sorry yes
2: sorry, <laughs> sorry. yeah you're right it's <laughs> a little bit deeper <laughs>
1: cool. yeah so what was it like growing up in calgary and and the, it sounds like you then you you grew up there or you were born there and then you grew up in a smaller town well, yeah
2: i did all my like elementary uh, okay. Middle school in Didsbury, so that's like my true formative years. um it, It's kind of like a very very small town. I think it's something like three thousand people or something small like oh, that. Wow. Like yeah. there, there's like a little downtown, which is just a main like there's a, there's a main street, and one side of it has shops, and the other side is a train track. <laughs> so it's like they didn't even have like a full <laughs> main street with buildings on both sides. <laughs> Um, They're like, well, there's a train track over there. We can't build buildings over there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know who made that decision, but we're stuck with it. Um, the train track was a very important part of the functioning of the town. Like a train, trains went through it multiple times a day. Hmm. Yeah, um, which was so unfortunate when you were stuck on one side of the town and had to go to the other side of the town because it takes like ten minutes for a train to pass. They're just like these epically yeah. long things that have slowed down <laughs> go through the town. Um, yeah. but, uh, yeah, that was my small little town. And then, um, basically all my memories are hanging out with my, uh, good friend, Rob, um, who lived on a farm. So I got to alternate between town life and farm life. Yeah. It was really cool. And yeah. that's all, it's all wrapped in, right? Because my favorite thing to do in the town was ride my bike around and just kind of explore. And thankfully due to the yeah. fact that we were latchkey children and, it was a small town. My parents felt it safe to just let me go anywhere. Um, yeah. And, you know, I could just leave and then come back in hours and no one asked any questions. And then the same thing on the farm. We would just, we would go walking or we'd go biking or he, he even had a quad. Like my fr- he was, my friend was like probably 11 or 12 and he was riding around this four wheeled bike, uh, <laughs> like, like motorbike through, um, through the farm. And I mean, some of it like there's. There's dangerous stuff up there. This is this just seems so foreign that this even happened. I know. Would All you like exploration? Um, I would love to, but I feel like I would get <laughs> taken up, snatched up by the government uh, so. so fast. <laughs> get taken, they would, yeah. my kids would be taken away from me in a heartbeat.
1: Yeah, yeah, we live on a cul de sac, uh, and so we. Our kids play out in the cold sack a lot of times, but I still like constantly, and it's a super safe neighborhood, but I still feel this weird, it's a cultural thing, like our is impressed upon parents that you've got to like, you know, constantly be checking on them and, you know, watching them and, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. I mean, there's some good things in that, I guess, but, um, you know, like protecting your children, which is super important, but uh but also i do think about what's because i kind of grew up that way too a little bit you know we would ride our bikes all over i grew up in a town of about two hundred thousand people so it's a lot bigger than your town but it's still relatively small town by comparison and i drove i rode my bike all over that town like all over the place my parents didn't care it's
2: just a different world exploration is really really critical <laughs>
1: So was uh, was religion a part of that, of your upbringing? Oh,
2: definitely. Um, like in small town Alberta, um, <laughs> I think everyone was a Christian. It, as far as I could tell as a kid, every single human was a Christian. And mm-hmm. it never occurred to me uh, that anyone had any other beliefs until yeah. I remember one day my sister, who is 11 years older than I am. She's a half-sister. Oh. Um, she like... <laughs> At 11 years older, that means like when I was a kid, if I was like 10, she was 22. Yeah. She'd been going through college already. Like she was like getting into her, um, about to get into her master's program or something. Um, she'd already like traveled, uh, like she's, she'd already like been to India by herself <laughs> um wow. like she well if, 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 she, if she may not have yet but it would it would in the timeline it would have been very shortly after this she would have gone to india and uh learned about that culture and then gone and gotten her doctors in anthropology or something or her master's in anthropology but she was like you know sort of cultured right yeah. and uh and i respected her for her intelligence but also like she was just super cool because she <laughs> was like a goth in in uh in high school, like she, she just, she was a bit of an artist. She was just a bit of a weirdo, right? Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah. really, really cool to like an 11 or 12 year old. And uh, I remember driving back to Didsbury from Calgary one day and she just said, like, she wasn't, she didn't tell me what her views were on religion, but I remember she was just having a conversation with me and she was just like, um, like, what if there is no God, and I was like, uh, what? And then so we sort of just chatted a little bit about the idea of there being different trains of thought in the world, like different mm-hmm. people delete, believe different things. And I was like, okay, yeah. well, that's clearly did wrong, but moving on. Um, <laughs> and uh, like, cause I'd gone to church and everything. And I remember the ceremony yeah. where I accepted. Jesus
0: was God.
1: it a big deal in your home? Like going to church? And
2: well, start? my mom felt it correct to make sure that the family goes to church. Right. And, and my mom and dad were both, um, I don't know. I don't think religion was pressed on my dad much, but he did consider himself a Christian, but like in the most, mm-hmm. um, in the most flexible of ways, like for him, he didn't believe anything. Literally. He would just felt that like God was a force and stuff like that. I don't know. Mm-hmm, I remember just yeah. contrasting him from any other Christian that I knew. And my mom was like, she was brought up in a highly cons- conservative Christian farm family. Um, okay. And, so she always considered herself Christian because it was the correct and proper thing to do. But later in life, I discovered that she was super agnostic the whole time and just felt so much guilt about that. Wow. Um, oh, wow. but, uh, but okay, so I'd i been going to Sunday school and all that and um, accepting Jesus into my heart and things like that. And um, so then my sister told me this, She's or she just planted this idea that maybe there is no God. And I remember going to school the next day this is grade, I'm going to say seven. And I remember asking the person, I was at my locker and the person next to me in his locker, I said, um, do you believe in God? And he looked at me with this, just look a confusion. Like, I, I don't know what you mean by that question. No, and I asked him a few more times and I tried confused. to explain myself, but he'd never ever thought about the idea of there not mm-hmm. being a God. And so that was kind of like, I think in my memory that's the moment where i started questioning my faith Hmm. just the idea first of all my sister planting a seed that there's other ways of thinking and then observing that some people hadn't even thought about it yet Hmm. made me go like oh so maybe all the people who are teaching me about god have just been brought up that way and they haven't thought about it much uh, and then, so that just went into a, that just evolved over years and years and years. And I went through like a snobby atheist period. I'm like out of it now. And I feel very, mm-hmm. I feel very open <laughs> to many perspectives. Um, yeah. but, uh, you know, I, I, I will, I guess, technically call myself an atheist, but I'm just, I'm not going to brag about it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> That's a good <laughs> way it. So what, um, like what, how did you land in the snobby atheist camp? Like what were you, were you, was there some bitterness against your sort of like religious uh, bringing or something?
2: Uh, no, it came down to like logic, right? Because everything they taught you in Sunday okay. school was like, okay, um, um, what is it? Noah's parting the ocean and no, Noah's ark. Wait. Who is it? Know this. Moses it, in the ocean. Is Moses, Moses, Noah in the ark.
1: Started, uh, yeah, and then
2: uh, <laughs> uh, you got it now. Um, like the and then and then a whole bunch of um, weird Bible tales that I'd come across. And I remember actually in high school picking up Genesis and reading Genesis, um, at least the Adam and Eve part. Um, once it got to like Cain and Abel, I think I stopped. Um, and uh, and at some point, I just kind of went like this. Guys, do you not see this? This looks a lot like fiction. <laughs> like this is fictional storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started of thought like, okay, well, if they want to teach me all this stuff that doesn't seem likely to have actually happened, um, then I bet you the whole thing's made up. And I think that that's kind of so, just how I came to it. And I, I don't I, I I think that's all it came to be. It's just like everything nothing makes any sense.
1: Yeah, so you were reading the Bible and feeling like this sounds seems like a story, and yet we're treating it like the super hyper literal thing of, and that doesn't sit right with exactly. And then, like
2: as time goes on, you learn about all sorts of things in the Bible that practicing Christians have just ignored, like things about tattoos or like how we treat women and all this kind of stuff. Um, Like there's sort of like a medieval practice in the Bible that doesn't Mm -hmm. like. Like if it feels like there's like Bible toting people who will use the Bible to defend their views, but then sort of just ignore whole sections of it that they don't <laughs> agree with. And so I was like, well, that's just yeah. a little bit on the hypocritical side. So I'm I'm out. I'm out, guys.
1: <laughs> yeah, I can I can sympathize with that for sure. I understand. I and mean, there's yeah, there's a lot of uh, a lot of things that a lot of that's that's a very good point. There's a lot of things a lot of Christians are pretty good at ignoring in the bible i don't really have a rebuttal chris you give a rebuttal
0: um people suck <laughs>
1: people suck
0: <laughs> i mean go yeah. figure that people would find a way to use things to their own advantage <laughs> yeah uh yeah. yep we, we do that all the time always with all the things uh, and definitely atheists too because atheists have like
2: the the rationalists um have their like table of um, what is it called? Logical fallacies. Mm. And it, it's just like, okay, well uh, you just use this as like your defense. But of course people are interested in using all of the tactics of persuasion when they have a point to make. So they're always going to dip into those table of fallacies. It's just how humans yeah. communicate. So um, <laughs> it's funny. It reminds me,
0: uh, it reminds me of, I was at dragon con. It's this convention in Atlanta. Um, it's a few years ago, and they have this uh like a track of panels called the Skeptics Track. And some of the like several of the panels are like, you know, dedicated towards like skepticism about religion, most of the time, specifically skepticism about Christianity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm a Christian, like we were there, you know, representing like a Christian organization. Um But I was interested. I'm like, Oh, I want to check this out and like, you know, see what, see what this is about and see what they have to say. And it was so interesting because I had the same feeling like the, the language they were using and the way they were talking, you know, in this like atheist skeptics panel, like you could have just carbon copied it over into like a Christian fundamentalist panel or something. Mm. Like, I remember they used this, uh, what was the term that it said something about a wedge? Like, you have to find the wedge in order to convert someone. <laughs> and it was just so interesting to me because I'm like, man, we're completely neglecting relationship. We're completely neglecting treating people like people. Um, and, yeah. and just to see it on both sides, like I would have had, again, the same feelings as if I was sitting in some weird, you know, evangelistic. Uh, like fundamental yeah head. christian kind of thing yeah. like i just have the same icky feelings um mm-hmm. i at one point i almost wanted to stand up and like admit that i was a spy and just say like hey guys like speaking as a christian like everything you're saying is just feels really icky and i don't think it's gonna work uh but you know <laughs> if you want to convert people <laughs> to atheism like just treat them like people and you know maybe you can win some converts or something i don't know
1: just have some conversations i didn't i didn't want to get like
0: jumped or
2: something i think that's what happened <laughs> with me and atheists is at some point i made the i i, I noticed the same thing as it feels like um, a weird little cult, like a li- not a cult. I mean, cult is the wrong way, I mean, but you know, it's a, it's a yeah, community yeah. of like-minded people. And yeah. then when you get that, then you get a sort of closed offness to other thoughts. And I'm right. like, this is the whole point. This is why I sort of abandoned Christianity in the first place is it was too, it felt too locked in. Um, it yeah. wasn't like an openness. So mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, I'm out of this. So I, 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 I can, I can not believe in God and not associate myself with the rationalists. I'll be fine. Right.
1: Yeah. So there's a greater desire in you now to like talk to people who think differently than you yeah. and I, explore things. I think that
2: it's part of um, it's part of my lifestyle now or my, my choices, right? Like you just, um, mm-hmm. you you don't want to get locked in to one curmudgeony way of thought. And I'm, t- I'm terrified of that. Like I'm terrified of being, you know, when you look at mm-hmm. old people and they can't understand the new music we're probably yeah. all in that space already. I'm already there. So, we all have yeah. like given up on certain new genres of music and being like, I yeah. can't penetrate that, right? Mm-hmm. But that's my fear. Like, I'm always like on Spotify, like trying to find <laughs> like the. I'm trying to listen to the new music and get into it and understand it. I like I like musical analysis about pop culture. There's a series um, from Chili Gonzalez um, called a uh, masterclass in pop or something like that. A pop masterclass. Mm-hmm. And he does all, he's like mm-hmm. an, he's like an amazing pianist, but he does all these amazing theoretical analyses of pop songs. And so he, he'll use yeah. a pop song to teach you a, um, a piece of terminology about music, something that you can use like a tool to think about music, but the pop song does it doesn't, doesn't have to call back on Bach or Beethoven, although he sometimes cross references that, but you know, mm. you're talking about Taylor Swift and you've learned a little bit of something about syncopation. Um, mm. And uh, I, I just love that. Like there's like, you don't have to close off anything, just accept it all and yeah. like learn what you can from that one thing.
1: Yeah. I something that I appreciate these, like, or I'm learning, I think, maybe to appreciate uh, things like that. Pop music and stuff that I used to, like, kind of be snooty about. Because I used to be this kind of, like, um, indie music kind of person that would turn up my nose at that. But 1989 is a freaking amazing album. Not going to lie. T-Swifty, baby. Super, mm. Yeah, super talented. Good. So you're not so much of an old curmudgeon. So, yeah. I hope not. Yeah, I hope not. I think there's this big tension these days between like even like my generation and the baby boomers or um and I think there's going to be a similar tension maybe between like you know even gen uh you know uh millennials even and and like generation uh z now you know where we're where we just we just don't make an effort to understand each other but I mean I see that with like some of the older generation in my life now that we're just like so upset that we can't figure out why, um, they're so upset that they can't figure out why they would like, for instance, vote for Trump or whatever, (laughs) or or vice versa. Like you can't, it's, there's just this, there's just real tension there. And, uh, I don't want to get to the point where, um, I can't like love those people, you know, or like, Make an effort to understand them, even if I feel pretty like strongly against some of the things that they're about or, or, or whatever. I think now, I've just
0: gotten to a point in my life where I've failed enough to realize that I don't know what in the hell I'm doing. And I think other people eventually get to that point and it makes us, I mean, it forces us to be humble. We don't have another choice because we've just screwed it up enough. And we can just then sit back and relax and say, hey, like, let's try to figure this out together, you know, instead of being in opposition and shaming each other for not thinking the same thing. Like we can act out of that humility and try to figure things out together. And that's what I get excited about and I'm way more interested in than finding the wedge to convert someone or whatever you
1: know <laughs> yeah
0: yeah it yeah,
1: yeah it doesn't
2: even really have to be about conversion i mean like you know what okay as distasteful of a character as trump and his policies may be the saddest thing about the whole trump era is just this, in, this the this divis- the divisiveness the fact that yep. he's helped to polarize yep. america more than it's ever been polarized before mm-hmm. um to the point where like during obama's america i was excited to explore all parts of the of the united states right i mm-hmm. i cuz i seek out cultural differences right like i like that kind of stuff um but in trump's america i'm like kind of scared and not <laughs> super interested you know yep. to go mm-hmm. to rural parts in the south like i just i'm like maybe i shouldn't like these people are clearly crazy and this is i don't literally mean they're crazy but i mean the thoughts going through my and other people's heads are just like well they're them and i'm me and i'm on the right side and they're abs- they're absolutely batshit crazy and they've lost it right. because like the the like the whole like he's just stoked the division and everyone's yeah. digging in further and now because we've dug in we're just you know, two different and i'm saying i like i obviously I'm a Canadian. (laughs) I sort (laughs) of am looking at it from the outside, but not really. I feel like we're all the same. We're all connected. It doesn't stop at the borders.
0: I'm sure you guys have your areas of division in Canada as well.
2: Uh, Yeah. You know what? We used to have a prime minister. We don't have presidents. We have prime ministers. We had a prime minister, Stephen Harper, who was more conservative than our previous and current prime ministers. And, I remember at that time being like, oh, it, it's horrible. He's making, he's making, he's completely changing uh, Canada. And he's making it worse. And everyone's going to run around with guns and blah, 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 blah. Um, but like nothing really changed. And just seeing how minor of a contrast that was like the difference between our conservative and our liberal prime ministers, like they're both still mm-hmm. central um, just to mm-hmm. look across yeah. the border and see the difference between a Democrat and a Republican. Now, um, it's insane. It's just so polarized. Yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a really good point of how little is actually in terms of policy generally is different between, you know, people who have been empowered and things like that um, is probably a good reminder, but, uh, but yeah, just that whole, like these people, I, it's something that I think about constantly, like, these days in in our current like political climate here in america So i'm constantly thinking about like well what is what is this person's perspective on this particular issue or what is this um where where would this person stand or else it's going to be a weird conversation or it's going to be a weird uh or potentially like contentious uh environment mm-hmm. to be in mm-hmm. um because i actually live in the south so i live in tennessee um in nashville and so I get to experience some of that. So I, I'm constantly thinking about it and I think it's a really kind of messed up, like, like that, that gets in my head. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because what people really need and what I really ought to be doing is just, um, like affording people the opportunity to be themselves and hear them out and like, um, just treat them like, like, like I would want to be treated. Um, Yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. And I
2: know like, okay, so I might have a fear right now of a mega hat wearing Trump supporter, but I know rationally that if, that I could go to one of those people who are just screaming at a Trump rally, screaming with passion, I could go up to them and have a normal conversation with them in an A&W, right? Like, or do you guys have A&Ws? Like give me at a Walmart and like, and
1: yeah,
2: (laughs) and uh and i could i could just be in a random spot and i could talk easily with that person right we would like each other yeah (laughs) and and yet like we have like when there's distance between us we're like worried about okay if that person sees me they're gonna they're gonna um i don't know put a banana in my pale tail tailpipe the weirdest
0: (laughs) thing my brain went to
2: yeah but they're like we're gonna get into a fight but it's like it's not gonna happen they're they're normal people like you guys like basically me and a trump supporter are the same in almost all ways except for our political views yeah and i mean socio-demographic status i suppose right but like still like at person Mm -hmm. to person we're gonna have no difficulty having a chat yeah yep
0: it's kind of what i love about uh Games and nerdy stuff is that it gives us a common ground to start from yeah. and to build trust with people because you can geek out about the same thing. And then I think it makes those com- when you get to those conversations of differences or division, it makes them a lot easier because you've already built some trust and some, you know, relational collateral or something. Uh, yeah. But it's yeah. kind of what I love about. Our culture, of course, there can be plenty of divisions within nerd culture, too, but, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, nerd culture has its own problems. But if we can, like, both agree that, um, I don't know, Dark Souls is amazing. <laughs> that's, a, that's something to build around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, this was, this was great, man. I really enjoyed chatting yeah. with you, Stu. It's been so fun. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, where where can people find you online?
2: The um, place where I uh, I do tweet. You can find me at shapeoftheworld Shape of the World is my games uh, thing, or you can just find me uh, at, at lack thereof zero. That's just the number zero.
1: Uh, yeah. Nice, cool. You can find me on Twitter. I'm Drew Dixon eighty two. Chris is not on Twitter, <laughs> right? Chris.
0: I mean, I am, but I don't tweet. Or really ever get, get on it, it but yeah. you could find me there. So, C.L. Gwaltney.
1: Yeah. Go follow him and pester him and send him a bunch of tweets and see if he ever responds. Yeah. That could be fun. Uh, go rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you do podcasts. Uh, we can be found on pretty much everywhere. So Spotify, YouTube, uh, go check out LoveLiner.com. We've got a lot of great articles and content up there right now. Uh, go check out the free play podcast, which is our other podcast in the love Thy Nerd podcast network. Um, we're hoping to expand our network soon as well. So be looking yeah. for that. Um, what else, Chris, am I missing? Something? No, you nailed it. I nailed it. All right. Go rate and review our podcast. If you do, we might send you a free game. Uh, that's, we've got some giveaways coming up soon. So go rate and review our podcast. Uh, we may, we might send you a game code or something. Um, so oh and you if you rate and review it please give us five stars that would also be great uh just, screw just being listen honest to me. even if you hate
0: it just give yeah. us five stars
1: yeah yep yeah. just lie and say how much you love yeah. it yeah uh and uh yeah that's it for us thanks again. thank you so much
0: hey thanks, you guys you have been listening to humans of gaming a production of love thy nerd if you have
2: enjoyed the show don't forget to like rate and review the show wherever you may be listening don't forget to check out our other show free play featuring discussions of complete randomness involving gaming community and whatever hosts Bubba Stalkup Matt Warmbier and Kate Katawaki deem worthy of your earbuds
0: theme music by Jay Tholen and used by permission